morning, church. How are we? Good, good. Hey, um, I hope you don't mind. I'm just going to start with one announcement, a bit of admin. Um, if you have forgotten, we have Night Church Unlabeled tonight, and we would love to have you there. It's at 7 o'clock. Um, if you don't know what this unlabeled thing we're talking about is, that's perfectly okay. I think Ruby's called it unscripted once. Nobody really knows. Um, but hey, basically it was just this idea that our night church community has grown um, over the last couple of years, and that's really exciting. And so normally over January, we um, take a bit of a break from night church, but this year we're like, hey, we just want to keep going. We want to have a place where people can come and fellowship in the evening. And so we're doing that, but just a bit more casual. We're going to be out in the other auditorium. We're going to be worshiping God. We're going to be um, hearing from the word. It's going to be an awesome night. So if you are free, um, all ages, um, make sure you come along. Hey, but um, it's at the start of a new year uh, that I think many of us will have been taking stock, taking a look at where we're at in our family lives, maybe our work lives, assessing some dreams, some aspirations that we have. And many of us will be looking at our spiritual lives and where we feel like we're at in our walk with God. And of course, we can't have a January sermon with someone mention it without someone mentioning New Year's resolutions, the classic gag about dropping out of the gym or your diet plans three weeks into the year. Um, but I believe I have a word this morning for those of us who, as we've been taking stock recently, have begun to feel a bit stuck. And I don't just mean in our diets or our exercise plans, but a bit overwhelmed, a bit stuck about where we're at. Now, I don't think any of us are actually immune to this feeling. All of us, I believe, will come across moments in our lives where we feel stuck. And what I mean by that is that maybe we're looking towards the coming year and thinking, oh, I actually don't feel any further along with this issue, this situation, this limitation that I felt in my life than I was a year ago. Maybe you're sort of saying to yourself, I had great aspiration, great optimism last year that I would see change in this situation, see breakthrough, that my habits would stick this time, that I would have the strength to overcome whatever this thing that you're holding in your thoughts is. And the new year has rolled around again, and you're sort of saying, Lord, I want to believe it again, but I'm not sure I have the energy. Maybe you've lost some faith in the miraculous for this challenge. If that's all you this morning, I believe I've been given a word, and it comes out of our passage for the morning, which is Psalm 96. And Psalm 96 says this, O sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Proclaim the good news of his salvation from day today, declare his glory among the nations, his wonders among all peoples. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Give to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Give to the Lord glory and strength. Give to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. I worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world also is firmly established. It shall not be moved. He shall judge the peoples righteously. Let the heavens rejoice and let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar in all its fullness. Let the field be joyful in all that's in it. Then all the trees of the woods will rejoice before the Lord, for he is coming. For he is coming to judge the earth, and he shall judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with his truth. Wow. What a cool psalm. 
Hey, um, if you've ever met a tramper or a hunter, you'll know that they love to tell stories about their trips, and they get right into it. Have you noticed this? They'll usually add in way more detail than you want. Don't ask them how their trip is. This is what I've learned, because you're guaranteed to get an hour-by-hour replay of the trip that includes weather updates, you know, group morale levels, terrain description, inside jokes that simply aren't funny that um, happened on the trip. It really bugs me when people say, ah, oh, you just had to be there. Well, why are you telling me? <laughs> Here's what I reckon. I actually reckon they can tell when we're switching off. They see our eyes start to glaze over. They see the not-so-subtle looks at the watch. I actually don't think they're oblivious to these cues when they are telling us these stories, but they are just so excited about what they are telling us, and they have to get it out of their system. They have to tell someone. And uh, unlucky for you, I love to tramp and I love to tell stories, and so (laughs) strap yourself in. Um, This summer, across New Year's, myself and some family and friends, we went on a wee trip down on the west coast of the South Island, and we had been planning this trip for a long time. And it's not all that often that we find the time to get out in the bush, so when it happens, when it comes together, it's such a treat. And by the time this trip finally rolls around, we are super excited. And so we set out on this trip, and the first day goes past, and we're having so much fun. It's great terrain. It's enough challenge, but it's not too hard on the legs. Um, and, and we get to the hut that night, and there's this awesome swing bridge. And um, I always feel a bit guilty because we've been walking through beautiful creation, God's creation all day, but we get and we see this swing bridge, this hunk of metal that man made over, over, the, over the river, and I just loved it. It gets me fizzing. Um, but there was also just these incredible natural hot pools not far away from the hut that we could walk to. Um, this trip was just going awesome. The weather was great. We couldn't complain. Uh, But as any good tramping story goes, um, on the second day, the narrative begins to take a turn. See, what I might not have told you is that we weren't actually following a marked track. Uh, We'd actually decided to follow a plan that we'd found on the internet. And what we quickly start to learn on the second day is that the description that we had read on the internet was vastly different from the reality that we were experiencing. And so... The second day, it begins in great spirits. The weather is great. We're rattling off stories to each other, winding each other up. We're having fun. And then it comes time that we have to turn off the marked track and and follow this description we'd found on the internet. And, And this is what the description read. It said, turn off the track and traverse a nice but steady slope up to the summit of Mount Reeves. And so we do this, and we sort of have to start bushwhacking through some native bush. And when we come out of this bush line, we get this clear view of the summit that we're supposed to be heading towards. But let me tell you, the, the, the description said a, a, a steady but nice slope. It's not how I would have put this, this rock face that seemed to be standing in front of us. <laughs> but anyways, with the fresh attitude and the rest we'd gotten from the hot pools the night before, we start out on this climb. Um, but the further we go, the trickier this thing gets. And uh, my sister is not the greatest fan of heights. She never has been. And we get to the point where we are climbing up a near-on vertical rock. And and we're putting our full weight and trust in whatever alpine tussock we could get our hands on. My sister is in full-blown panic mode at this point. Dare I say it, there were more than a few tears. Uh, And if that wasn't bad enough, it's at this point that the clouds begin to roll over. And they're coming in thick and fast. By the time we finally get some respite from this climb, we probably only have about 30 metres of visibility in front of us, and it's fair to say that group morale was down. (laughs) 
but you know, it's funny because I had this, this new song of Brooke Lidgetwood's, um, you might know her as Brooke Fraser, I had this new song of hers in my head, and um, I'm one of those people that always has a song in my head, and I'm quite annoying because it usually doesn't stay there, um, I'll usually be singing it as well. And um, before I worked at church, I was a shepherd, and honestly, at any point in the day, you could just find me out on the quad bike singing to my heart's content. Um, But I'd been singing this song on this tramp all day, and it's called Honey in the Rock. And the lyrics go something like this, there's honey in the rock, water in the stone, manna on the ground, no matter where I go, I don't need to worry. Now that I know everything I need, you've got is honey in the rock. It's an upbeat song, it's catchy, and this was the song that was stuck in my head. But it sort of didn't feel like the right moment, uh, right song for the moment. The hours were dragging on. We had no track to follow. We were trying to find our way through this thick fog, this cloud in front of us. And honestly, it just got to the point where we thought, maybe we should just stop walking, just camp out for the night. But we couldn't find anywhere suitable to set up a tent. Uh, and not to mention, we, we couldn't find any water, and we were all out of the water that we'd brought with us. This really didn't feel like a honey-in-the-rock, manner-on-the-ground kind of moment. In fact, quite the opposite, some of our party had big blisters welling up on their feet and what feels like hours pass by and we see something in the distance and we couldn't quite decipher what it was but as we slowly approach this just sort of bright blob in the distance, we realise we'd actually come across this random isolated patch of snow and for us, this was our honey in the rock moment because we had found the water source we needed and so we just we keep walking just around the corner and we stumble across an awesome wee flat campsite. We could pitch our tents on. We were stoked. I don't think I'd mention that this was New Year's Eve so we'd actually gone up hoping to get a nice view for the last hours of the year. But honestly, at this point, water and flat ground was all we needed. It was enough for us. But then it got better because just before sunset, when we were preparing to zip up the tents and just be done with the day, the clouds begin to roll back uh, and it make, made way for possibly the best view I've had the privilege of witnessing. I've hopefully got a photo coming up for us. You know, I was over the moon. My prophetic singing of Honey in the Rock had come to fruition. I say that in jest. Honestly, my expectations had become really small earlier on the day. But I do reckon that God was, uh, was trying to teach me something in this moment. And it was this, there is great importance in the song that we sing. And when I got given Psalm 96 to preach on this morning, and it's this incredible praise psalm, isn't it? And I read the opening line, which is, sing a new song unto the Lord. It got me thinking that we all sing a song. Maybe less literally than me who never goes a minute without a song in my head, but we all sing a song. Our lives and the way we live them tell a story. We sing it to the people around us. We have a song that shapes the way we think, acts, and responds to our circumstances. And so the question becomes, what song are we singing? And Psalm 96 challenges us to sing a new song, a song of praise, a song of salvation, a song of hope that the Messiah will return. I want to divert a little from our passage this morning to look at Ephesians 4, where Apostle Paul is speaking to believers, people that have already been saved, and he encourages them that now that they live in salvation, things should actually look different. And from verse 20, it says, That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness 
and holiness. So this is saying that as Christ followers, we get to make a decision to put on a new self, a countercultural self, a self that does away with what the world wants and looks like, and we get to become like God. Doesn't sound like a hard ask at all, does it? I, I talked earlier about that feeling of being stuck, like, like things haven't changed, like the victory that we have been waiting on hasn't arrived. And so maybe you hear something like Ephesians 4 saying, put off your old self, put on the new self, and you're thinking, this is just great. They've got the young buck up here with about 10 minutes life experience to get up and tell us that if we would just live better lives, our issues will be fixed. You're thinking, I've started each January writing a gratitude journal. I've done the devotional plans. I've made myself accountable to others. I've prayed for breakthrough and for the miraculous. But none of it has changed the fact that my loved one is unwell, that I wake up in the morning with no energy, that this anxiety still seems to rule over my life, or this addiction, that the pain of my past still hangs around years later. And so I, I knew when I was writing this, I needed to be careful with how I came on this point. But I do believe the Lord spoke to me about the need to sing a different song. Because we are not void of the same issues that everybody else faces. We are going to come up against it. But there is a difference when we are Christ followers. We are not only saved and forgiven, but our response to get to be different as well. And we've been offered this through the Holy Spirit. I love the imagery given to us in Psalm 23, where it says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I love it because it shows that the chaos might be raging around us, but he lays out a feast in the middle of it. He provides a different way. He prepares the table. And I love it because it takes the emphasis from our own flesh and places a reliance on the Holy Spirit to do a work on the inside of us that transforms us from the inside out. And joy over bitterness, strength over weakness, this is not our default setting. Heard someone say recently, we don't wake up saying, good morning, Lord. We wake up saying, Good Lord, it's morning. <laughs> Our flesh is weak, isn't it? It's, it's not always easy to choose the song of victory, but Psalm 23 shows us that it's not in our own strength, that actually when we wake up in the morning with the challenges, the things to be stressed about, with the questions that are yet to be answered and the problems that are yet to be overcome, God is not just waking up with us in that moment. Scripture says that the God who watches over Israel never slumbers or sleeps, but he goes ahead of us. And so he has been in the trial before you and walking, working amongst your situation before you even wake up to confront it, preparing a table where you can find refuge. Isn't that beautiful? I think it's easy, though, with just the chaos of life around us to get caught up in asking questions of why and, and not who. Because the questions of why, they will tear us apart. Why am I walking through this? Why has God allowed this to happen? Why can I not seem to move past this? But the who, who goes before me, who surrounds me, who lives on the inside of me, that's where the power is. And our own flesh will choose every other vice before it looks for Jesus. But when the Spirit is at work inside of us, there's a shift in the melody that we begin to sing. I wonder if we can easily underestimate the significance of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not a ghost or a wind or a fire or a dove. He is often symbolized by those things, but we shouldn't minimize him. That's not who he is. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. He's not third because he is least in value, just third because he is the last to be revealed to us in the pages of the Scripture. And all of the power, all of the glory, all of the authority, all of the grandeur of God the Father is in the person of the Holy Spirit, which means... 
If you are a believer and the Holy Spirit lives in you, that means all of the grandeur, all of the greatness, all of the authority of God himself now lives on the inside of you. And so it's no longer a case of why is this happening, but rather who lives on the inside of me. And scripture is packed with examples of the danger of asking why and not who. And one of the more obvious ones to me is Abraham and Sarah. God, asked Abram that, uh, God had promised Abram that his wife would bear a son and make Abram the father of many nations. Only problem was Sarah was 90 years old, had never conceived a child, and Abram wasn't exactly in his prime either. But instead of trusting in who was in the promise and who was in control, and therefore reminding themselves of all of his past faithfulness, they asked, why has the Lord forsaken us? And they took things into their own hands. Abram goes and has a child with his wife's servant. They went outside of the will of God because they were asking the wrong question. Why is this happening to us instead of who lives on the inside of me? And David was an example of someone who chose to ask who. He was just sent out to take lunch to his brothers on the battlefield. And when he gets there, everyone's sitting around puzzled over what they should do about this big Philistine giant called Goliath. They were asking why. But it was the runty shepherd boy with zero military experience and none of the qualifications who chose to say, I know who lives on the inside of me. I know who has been preparing me in the secret for this moment. And I might not have the physical muster to take on this Philistine giant, but I know who does. And he's right here with me. And that's the power of a new song. But as I said earlier, it's, this is not our default. We are, we are not instantaneously wired to have joy and peace and expectant hearts the moment we let God into our lives. We have to begin to tune ourselves into the spirit that dwells in the inside of us. And the best way I believe that we do that is through praise, through acknowledging the one who does have the power to change this, the one who does have authority over this. Psalm 96, our psalm this morning in verse 2 says, Sing to the Lord, bless his name, proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. From day to day. And so this is where it starts to get practical. This is something that has to be built into our routine. There is this concept in psychology, and don't worry, I'm not going to even pretend I know what I'm talking about here, but... I was learning the basic idea behind this concept called neural plasticity, and it's this idea that our brain creates these grooves called neural pathways, and the more we use these grooves or these pathways, the stronger and more dominant they become. So take, for example, if we are a pessimistic person and we usually respond negatively to situations, we are strengthening this neural pathway, strengthening this groove in our brains, and we basically form a habit. Meaning that when situations arise, this is going to be the dominant direction that our response will take. But I love how God's creation and design points to an alliance to Scripture, which tells us we don't have to conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but rather we get to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So our minds can be changed. This won't happen instantaneously. It will happen with the strength of the Spirit and our willingness to yield uh, to His voice and His instruction. These neural pathways we now know are malleable, meaning that they can be changed, but the only way to change them is to begin new habits intentionally and consistently. So we're not talking about big vision, that's the intangible, intangible stuff that we often struggle to maintain, but rather the day-to-day, -day, like our scripture reads. And I believe that as we yield to the Spirit and listen to what He is asking of us, and as we every day look for ways to praise, no matter what we are up against, our minds will begin to go under transformation. So that when we come up against it, our reaction will be to surrender, 
to lift our hands, to rely on the grandeur, the greatness, the full authority of God, the Father who lives on the inside of us. Listen, we will struggle uh, with the weakness of our flesh all the way to heaven. And when struggle comes our way, we're going to want to run to the comforts of the flesh. We're at times going to want to run to bitterness and anger, and sometimes we will because we're not perfect. Thankfully, though, our job isn't to be perfect, and praise God that Jesus came and he lived a blameless life on our behalf. But our job is to abide and surrender to Jesus, to every day prepare ourselves to sing a different song, one that the world doesn't recognize. Talking about worship in the middle of the storm, surrender in times of brokenness. Talking about singing a new song, a song of praise, a song of hope. We're talking about song a lot this morning, and I love to worship in song. I believe it's powerful. I think it's a gift that God has given us to use in big rooms like this and in the quiet by ourselves. I believe that God will use our song to to free us from our bondage. But it's not the entirety of our worship. And Romans 12.1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So this is saying that our routine is worship, our habits are worship, that it was we intentionally, day after day, choose to honor God in our choices, to stay away from gossip, to stay away from sexual immorality, to respond with grace and kindness to those around us, to not speak our mind all of the time, but choose to listen even in our own frustration. These choices, these small decisions that we make every day, when we honor God with them, this is our worship. And this is what God is after, a day-by-day surrender and worship. And when we slip up in our decisions, we shouldn't allow that to be a victory for the enemy, but instead praise God that he can turn my weakness to strength and stand back up and choose to honor God with my next step. And that's a song that the world will sit up and listen to. You know, the world is actually pretty good at writing four-chord songs as well. But when we choose surrender over self, even when it's hard, It's a song they'll listen to and want a part of. Recently, I had been looking at a situation in my life as a limitation, and I felt like I was stuck. The situation wasn't changing. I'd been asking, why? Why me, God? Why am I going through this? I believe God clearly spoke to me, and he said, Jake, you've been in church long enough to know some basic theology. So tell me this. Does what you're stressing out about, does this affect your purpose? Does it affect your value? Does it change the plans that I have for you? And the answer was no, because Jesus tells us that in our weakness, he makes strength. And so the word I have today is that some of us might have been fixating and singing about a limitation that Jesus has already declared victory over. And our psalm this morning is a song of praise that sings of a God that is coming back to restore justice and truth and entirety which means that we can be assured that whatever injustice we are facing, whatever broken situation we are dealing with in this moment, whether we see it in this life or the next, the battle has already been won by the Lord. So sometimes what we are holding in our hands as a limitation or a weakness might not look to be changing. We might feel stuck in it. But I challenge you, if that is you, ask yourself these three questions that he gave to me. Does this change my value? Does it change the plans he has for me? Does it change my purpose? And let me answer them for you. The answers are no and no and no because our Savior has never loved you more than he loves you right now. And so if the situation isn't changing, we need to switch up our song. 
Because when we stop singing about the limitation and start declaring the victory, God begins to write a new melody, a melody that will affect your outlook, your hope, your passion for the gospel. And any good song has a good hook, and a good song will be catchy, and this one is no exception. And when we embrace the melody of the gospel, when we stop singing the world's tune and instead declare victory and peace and joy in the midst of our enemies and our worst days, when we choose to sit at that table he prepares for us in the chaos, the world around us will notice. It'll be catchy. That's the whole point. It's the whole point of the gospel. It's to know a peace and a joy beyond our understanding, beyond anything we deserve that impacts us so greatly that other people sit up and notice. I'm going to tell one, one last story and then we'll bring, um, we'll bring this to a close. So music team, I wonder if you want to come up. I love the concept of the song that we sing because a song has the unique ability to cause a shift in attitudes. A song can inspire, can allow you to grieve. They are attached to memories and they affect not just the person singing them, but the people around that are listening into it. We've talked about this countercultural new song that the spirit within us gives us the strength to sing. And the gospel teaches us that we are not to keep this to ourselves. It's a song to be sung loud. Um, way back in the 70s, there was a Sunday school teacher called Connie. And every week, Connie would uh, run the Bible in schools program down at the local primary school. And in one of her classes, there was a shy young girl called Michelle. And Connie was sold out for Christ. And she saw this girl... And all she did was sing the song that Christ had given her. And she invited this shy young girl to her Sunday school program. And that simple act of courage that Connie took that day to sing the song of, um, of salvation and invite this girl to Sunday school has changed countless lives. Because God saw Connie making a day-by-day decision to choose a song of salvation and joy and hope in contrast to the world around her, and he honored her in it. And so Michelle went along to Sunday school that weekend, and then she went the next weekend, and the weekend after that, and in turn, she made a decision to give her life to Jesus. Not long after, the Sunday school kids were invited to bring their parents along to church for a special kids' service, um, not dissimilar to the ones that we have here each year, and Michelle brings along her mum to this service. And her mum saw the joy on her daughter's face. She witnessed this countercultural song coming from this church. She wanted to know more. And so in the following weeks and months, Michelle's mum kept coming back and kept asking questions. And not long after, she too gave her life to Jesus. Michelle's mum was a young woman who had had uh, Michelle at the age of 16 in a society that had little acceptance of that. But in the gospel of Jesus Christ, she found a new song. She found a savior that said, I see value in you. I have a plan for you. I want to give you new purpose. And this message, it went back into their home. Michelle's dad came to Jesus. Together, her parents committed to a life of service, becoming pastors in the church. They lead countless people to Jesus and raise Michelle in the church. And now I stand here today, the son of that shy young girl, Michelle, who Connie invited to Sunday school, part of a family of seven children that love the Lord, and all because one person sung a new song, sung a different song. And that's the gospel. One person has the courage to sing a new song, a different song, and it reaches broken situations and broken people and shows them a place where they can find refuge in the middle of the storm and gives them hope, and then it catches and it repeats. And so I started this morning talking about that feeling of being stuck. 
like it's a new year with the same problems, a new year with the same hurt, the same pain. God is calling us this morning to a new song. I can't promise you that whatever you're facing will be taken away or shifted this year, but I can offer you a song of praise and remind you of the feast he has laid out for you of a song that we can't sing from our own strength, but only with the power of the Holy Spirit within us. He's asking that instead of fixating and working ourselves into a state over the why, that we begin to ask who, begin to allow the Spirit's impact to shape our day to day. So that as we begin to create habits of worship in the trial and make God-honoring decisions in the small moments of our lives that our minds might be transformed. So that we can begin to walk in the victory of a battle that has already been won, and that this countercultural song would have widespread impact. This is not a message of limiting our expectations for the miraculous or for what God can do and what we're up against. It's a message to say that in our waiting, He's laid out a table for us and offered us a new song to sing.